0: Welcome to The Frontline, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of sales leadership. Whether you're a sales leader yourself or someone who wants to learn more about building an elite sales team, we bring you the insights and strategies from today's top sales leaders living, working, and leading from The Frontline. Hey, welcome to the Frontline. I'm your host, Sean Buxton, head of sales and at the Sales Collective. Super excited to have as our guest today, Dan Wardle, currently VP of Revenue at Vidyard, here to share all his leadership knowledge and then some today on the Frontline. Welcome, Dan.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sean. Excited to have the chat today.
0: Yeah, super excited to have you on uh, this episode. Let's just jump right into it. I always like to find out people's background, how they got into sales leadership, What's you know first sparked your interest in sales leadership. We'll start there.
1: Yeah, I, I'll even rewind into like what got me interested in sales, because uh, it was not a traditional, not that anyone has a traditional path into sales. You know, there's some courses now, but it didn't exist 20 years ago. So I, uh, I got hired as a co-op to do some mapping for demographics of like where we should hire sales reps at BlackBerry as they were entering the retail market. So for anyone who actually remembers BlackBerry, even before that, when they were entering the retail market is when I started there. <clears throat> it was two weeks later and they're like, oh, shit, what are we going to do with this guy? all right, now he's our inside sales rep. And so I started helping all of the salespeople that we had hired. You know, I was just a young kids still in university. So I started traveling around and just like loved the ability to just to be chatting with people and understanding their problems and, and where BlackBerry could fit in, you know, it was early days, nobody had a smartphone yet. And so from there, I just rode my career through. And, and that was my first uh, experience into sales leadership. Uh, I was running a few different carriers with BlackBerry and then opportunity came up where there were some more junior people on the team. I've been doing it now for about six years. And it's like, Hey, you know, do you want to be a team lead of some other account managers that are dealing with uh, the accounts down in the States? Uh, and really, you know, that's why I jumped into it. It's like, I want to help them understand what they should be doing day to day, how they should be working with their clients, how to have, you know, executive presence, all of that stuff that you really needed. Cause it was more of a channel sales. Uh, so a bit different than, than what I'm focused on now. Uh, And it was just exciting to get in there. Now, poor timing, because then BlackBerry uh, went the way that BlackBerry did. And so I ended up having to to leave, go to Salesforce for a bit, and then join here at Vidyard and do it all over again.
0: Wow. Yeah, I remember when I got my first BlackBerry. I mean, I felt like a boss, right? Because (laughs) the first time I could check my email, and I remember those little tiny buttons and (laughs) typing away. My uh, biggest
1: thing was uh, we were going to a conference, and all the other vendors had paper printouts and i was like what what is that and they're like what's our directions MapQuest." and i was like oh i've got google maps <laughs> and yeah. that was just like mind-blowing to me
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah and who knew that MapQuest was kind of going to go the way of the dinosaurs too it's interesting how much has changed so you've been at vidyard now for how long
1: i uh, just crossed 10 years this uh, winter
0: okay yeah, so, so talk journey. us talk us through how you got started at vidyard and kind of progression to you know vp of revenue now
1: yeah, so when I joined, we were just ten people. So I was the one of the first salespeople getting started with revenue. Figured out our product market fit in the enterprise world of B two B marketing back then, more on the marketing side, hosting of videos. You know, video on your website was new. Products like Streamyard hadn't even been thought of yet. Products like you know Zoom hadn't even been thought of yet. So it was early days video, uh, but we all believed in it and you know jumped in with two feet to really help build the business up and then work my way through. You know, managing the first sales team, then managing the first business development organization. And then I even transitioned into creating probably the Vidyard that you all know today, that the sales product, uh, where I was running the growth marketing team and the kind of the hacky team startup within a startup to figure out how this sales product might have product market fit. Uh, Because in the beginning, nobody wanted to send videos, uh, but my team was doing it just because we were selling a video product. So they'd make a video of your website, explain why Vidyard would help you. And then put it into an email and send it to people wow. and our product team was like oh shit that, let's build that that's a great product idea <laughs> and that's kind of my progression through to now having uh, all the, the revenue focuses at the company
0: did you have as you made that transition i'm guessing probably the answer is no but maybe maybe not did you have any kind of formal uh training or any kind of transitional coaching or anything like that uh that you went through as you progressed through the stages of sales leadership
1: a great question. So I, I would say early days, not well. We were still startup, so you're just yeah. getting thrown into it. But then, as we got to the stage about six years ago, we were creating our second product. Now it became more important to have an external coach, essentially. And so it was actually across all of the executive team, we hired an executive coach to come in, whose expertise is more on the change management, uh, you know, managing people. Like mm. not necessarily an expert in our industry, not necessarily an expert in sales, but a change management person who's dealt with mergers and acquisitions and large corporate changes and has been a, a coach for executives for years. Uh, and he was very helpful. So we would go through 360 reviews. What should we be doing better? How should we be dealing with some upcoming change and like finding somebody like that is so valuable to your company, but also to yourself
0: personally. Yeah, definitely. What were some of the the challenges that you faced early on in your career as a sales leader? Do you remember some of them that you were dealing with and, uh, Can you tell us like some more stories like where you really messed up? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'll I'll think of some of those ones. The the hardest part when you're growing a startup specifically and getting into sales leadership is you went from being the revenue and now you have to backfill that because you're not going to be producing revenue anymore. So what does that transition look like? And really being thoughtful of like, what's the revenue forecast going to look like as I become a leader and not a sales rep? And that was a really difficult transition. So you almost have to just... Uh, you know, one of our sales leaders would always say, the sales manager should be 40% of every deal. (laughs) So if you look at your million dollars, you closed in a quarter, you should have been responsible for 400,000 of that, you should be on those calls, you should be like directly involved. And then the other 600 are kind of the more traditional sales rep led. Uh, And so I really had to embody that and just join every one of those calls in the early days. so that was really good. And then <clears throat> I would say to kind of give some of the war stories or the mistakes made, you know, we just got ourselves inflated a bit back in oh, was 2015, so quite a while ago, where it's like, oh, we're doing so well. Let's like pretend like we're a big company and split into small business, mid market, enterprise, and and EMEA right off the bat. And well, if you don't have the demand, you, you shouldn't build out those teams. And so we really had to scale those back. Basically, we had mid market really going well. So I hired a sales manager for that and I took on the other three and it was like two people per segment managing it all under one team. And like, you just, you don't have enough focus. You gotta have focus. You have to really think about, okay, how am I gonna succeed in the SMB market? What's the price point look like? What's the customer look like? And how do I target them? You can't do that three times over within one team. And so right away realized, you know, we should slow down in the EMEA one cause that's, that's a big project. And I really focused on SMB and enterprise. Did really well on SMB enterprise back then. We just really hadn't thought of like who's the perfect ICP. It was still early days video. Mm-hmm. It was still early days marketing automation even. And so that market is now our biggest, but it was not good then. And we really cycled through reps and all the traditional stuff you do when you're trying to build enterprise for the first time. Uh, and you know, looking back, they were good reps. We just didn't have the right focus in that segment
0: when uh, you think about sales leadership and the frontline sales leader as you're as you're hiring them now I'm, I'm assuming you have some sales managers underneath you is that correct
1: yeah yeah we have uh, four or five of them
0: now okay great so as you're looking to fill those roles share with us some of the characteristics the the knowledge the skills that you're looking for in a frontline sales leader what's important to you
1: yeah I actually like having a balance if you have the opportunity to have multiple sales leaders you can get some balance. So I'll kind of explain some of the different things I look for. Uh, I have one sales leader who comes from more of a rev ops background and a consulting background. He's got all of the models, all of the templates, all of the precise measurement, like really understands how to drive a business forward. And that role is especially good when you're thinking of, uh, you know, a a large volume team or a team that is focused on uh, like all of your renewals, but also needs to do upsells, which is in his case, he's the account manager director, like you really have to have that analytical mind to understand how to build out your time matrix to produce maximum output. But then on the, you know, other side of the fence, it's like someone who's been there done that, someone who's got the raw sales experience for a decade or more that is going to be able to dig right into the trenches with the reps and help them close deals. You know, that kind of persona is great if you're thinking about a team where a bunch of the team is new to the role maybe they're new aes and they've never been aes before obviously you need somebody really hands on there or they've you know progressed their career and they're enterprise reps but you know maybe they haven't been enterprise reps before or it's a new market for them new new technology for them whatever it might be like you need somebody who's going to be that you know 40% of the sales rep uh so to evaluate that, what's important within that is not just that they've done it before. That doesn't mean they can coach other people. <laughs> you need to ask them, you know, how how would you join a call with your rep with a customer? Let's say a discovery meeting. Mm-hmm. How would what part would you play in that? And ask them that question. You know, how do you come prepared? What kind of questions are you gonna ask? What kind of stories are you gonna tell? And what I really like to hear from the managers is like, okay, you know, when I join a meeting, I want to make sure that I'm adding value but not overstepping. And so I'm going to be bringing up, you know, these two or three customer examples and some stories about success I've seen. I'm going to ask these two or three questions that are like the difficult questions that, you know, might come off negative to the customer. So I'll be the bad guy. So the rep can ask the other questions. And here's how I'm going to plan that out with the rep. I also want to hear what they're going to do in their one-on-ones. You know, are they doing a specific war room call coaching or are they just asking about deal next steps? Hmm. Deal next steps are, you know, nice, but you actually need to be involved with the And help them make the next steps not ask them what the next steps are uh which you know loved salesforce loved my sales coaching that i got there but it was much more of a you know my manager needed to enter the next steps so that his director could see the next steps, so that the vp could see the next steps and i didn't get like a lot of help on deals and so kind of learning from mistakes is what i really look for and when i'm hiring it's like what would i have wanted as a rep what's going to add the most value while still you know, maximizing the team's output. Uh, so there's so much that goes into a sales leader that you really have to dig into and understand who the team is you have today and who would be the best match for a sales leader for that team. So it's definitely not an easy one.
0: Got it, got it. Uh, how how frequent, this is a very tactical question, how frequently do your managers do their one-on-ones? There's a lot of, uh, I talked to a lot of our clients at Sales Collective, some of them are doing them once a month, some are doing bi-weekly, some weekly, you know, some never do them, you know, yeah. get to do them. What's your take on that? Uh,
1: if you're not doing them weekly, I don't know how you can support your reps. Well, it's like a strong mm. statement, but it, it is what I believe. It's like, do you need to do an hour long, big, you know, deep dive with your rep every week? Maybe not. I actually like a lot of my managers will do rotation where it's one week is half hour and one week is an hour. Okay. During the hour one, they're doing a couple of call reviews that then frees up time in the shorter week to do like team-based war rooms. So more like team-based call coaching, uh, which is really effective. Uh, But yeah, it's, you know, maybe my business is more higher velocity or something, but in my opinion, it's got to be weekly.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's my philosophy too. Um, You know, I like to be in touch with the team, but uh, you know, some people say, Oh, I can't do it once a week. I don't have the time. And I just wonder, I'm wondering what you're doing. If you're not, you know, because that one-on-one sets the table for the coaching, right? Like you're not going to fit a month's worth of coaching into a 30 minute, 45 minute one-on-one, but that does kind of schedule out your coaching or you get aligned on what we need to be working on you and I seller and sales manager, you know, for the next month or so. I
1: think more Um, importantly than how often it's, are you coming prepared for it? Are you coming mm -hmm. with. A mindset of like what do i do during this one-on-one which is why i like the rotation one too because if you do the same thing every week sometimes it's tough to keep up but if you're doing like the coaching every other week and then the other week is just a uh, more tactical you know what do you need this week meeting then it allows you some time to prepare like okay this quarter i'm going to focus on you know discovery calls with this rep because i find they're not you know understanding the customer's process well enough right off the bat and so then i can You know, come prepared with here's two calls that I listened to where, you know, you could have done better discovery. Let's dig into some questions we could have asked and like spitball what, what could we do better next time? Or what could we do on these deals to help them move forward because we missed the questions earlier? So you do need that time. Like you have to come to the one on one with actually something that's going to help the rep, not just show up and do a war room.
0: Yeah. I think that's a big mistake I see too is just winging it, right? Just showing up. uh, There's a common, trope out there on LinkedIn right now, the one-on-one belongs to the rep, right? And I don't. I wonder sometimes, did that come from sales managers? Did, <laughs> did we start that idea so we don't have to plan it? And, yeah. you know, and I don't know about you, but all the sellers I've ever led, they don't come to the one-on-ones very prepared themselves. And so if I say it belongs to the rep, then, you know, I think we just plan 30, 45 minutes that probably isn't going to have a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of uh, worth at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I like that point a lot. And I do think there's, there's both sides, you know, the one piece of coaching that that executive coach gave because early days, you know, I'd get frustrated as we were a smaller company and you're dealing more with less resources. You know, you go into a meeting expecting that someone has come prepared, whether it's a one-on-one or a cross-functional meeting, and then they haven't done their part. And then you're like, what the hell were you doing? Like, come on. And then you get frustrated and you become a negative entity in that call. And Mm -hmm. so one thing that I've been uh, implementing since, you know, way back then is my first thing in the morning, like I try not to book anything before nine, because that's my time to make sure I'm fully prepared for every meeting that's happening that day and the next day. Yeah. Uh, What needs to happen before that meeting agenda wise, tactic wise, so that it's a positive impact meeting.
0: What are some other areas we kind of talk about? Some of these mistakes that sales managers make. What are some other big mistakes that you see sales managers making today? That if they could cor- if they could correct those, that it would be uh, a game changer for them.
1: The toughest one right now is, you know, inputs matched with outputs. And so you know, you go for a while and you realize, okay, the input to create pipeline is the number of new cadences you've started. So that's all I'm going to measure. Well, mm-hmm. then, that's going to drive the behavior of the reps, just hitting that number, even if it's five o'clock on a Friday and the wrong people. We need to think about who are the right people to start those conversations with. So, being careful of you know harping on a metric without watching the output is a problem that we all have right now because the market has changed. So, you have to actually change. Like, you've got to change what you're measuring, change you know how you're measuring it, uh, without losing sight of the volume. It's still a volume game, but. Um, the right volume. So that's that's a big one right now. And then I think uh, the other one right now is like, just get connected early. I think we forget in this remote world that the multi-threading has to happen in a much more forced way. You know, Back in the day, you'd go to a customer's office and you'd meet three or four people and now you've got some relationships.
0: You have yeah, to do yeah. that
1: proactively now. Only one person's going to show up to the meeting. So what are you doing about it? So great example this morning, one of my enterprise reps sent me A Google Doc with like seven or eight emails I have to send today (laughs) of like some pre-canned emails I'm going to send to some executives at each one of his deals and multiple at some of the deals because I need to build those relationships. They're all stage one deals. He's only just had an initial conversation. That doesn't mean I should wait. I should build those connections now so that if we're getting stuck in procurement six months from now, I've already got the relationship. That's not the time to always do an executive outreach. It's a bit disingenuous. It's always self-serving. Like start that now so we can actually help the customer, whether it's qualify or disqualify, uh, you know, super, super early and finding more contacts.
0: What uh, you had mentioned metrics. I love that, by the way, getting, you know, multi-threaded early and just getting the VP involved early in the game. So you're right. So that at the end, it doesn't seem like, oh, I'm just reaching out to you because we're stuck in procurement. Uh, I think it's a nice, nice little tip there. Uh, Going back to the metrics, what are the, you mentioned, you know, kind of early stage metrics and over indexing on those. What are the metrics that you're kind of keeping an eye on right now? Maybe two or three that you feel are really impacting your business and moving the needle. Yeah,
1: for us right now, uh, we're really looking at, uh, you know, the conversion rate through the funnel, the stuff you'd always track uh, page traffic to conversions to, you know, act nows submitted through the, the contact sales. But then within the sales team, we're really monitoring, you know, half our revenue comes from outbound and, You know, people say I cheated outbound though because we have a free product. So we're outbounding to customers who already use us in the free version. Uh, But that input metric needs to be what we call sales accepted leads, which is the number of people that you've started a new cadence with. So how many new people did you reach out to today trying to prospect them? And it's a great metric as long as the reps are putting the right contacts in. And so it also comes down to, okay, let's make sure we're spot checking you know, when those SALs happened, what kind of personalization they're doing. So what's the percentage of their emails they're sending that are personalized? And, you know, what's their personas that they're sending to? Uh, because if you're just tracking the number, the rep could just be dumping a bunch of people from, you know, Zoom Info or Apollo in there <laughs> to see, yeah. to hit their metrics by the end of the week. So you've got to like make sure they're the right ones, but that one has a very clear correlation to pipeline created. Uh, So that's a big, important one. And then the other important one we're tracking right now, more on our transactional teams. Uh, We're looking at what we call decision calls. And it is, you know, you've had your first disco discovery and uh, demo all in one because it's a transactional sale. And then you've booked the decision call roughly a week later, once they've had time to digest internally and make a decision, like what are those volumes? What percentage are we booking from the first meeting? So did the demo, is the demo being effective enough to book a decision call? And then what's the conversion on the decision call?
0: Got it. So walk me through what happens if I'm on one year teams and I'm not hitting these numbers. What does that look like?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on these uh, self-generated pipeline side, uh, we have pretty strict rules and we kind of copied this from Salesloft. But if you're not hitting your input metrics, your activity metrics and your output metrics, so the amount of pipeline you're generating uh, and we have kind of team thresholds, If you're not hitting that two weeks in a row, then you actually stop getting inbound for two weeks. Oh. Uh, Because, you know, you're responsible for 50% of your own destiny. So you really need to be performing on that side. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where the spot checking becomes really important. Because if they're just dumping SALs in there, that's not going to help. And that's going to not do anything for the other two metrics either. So that's a, a big one that we do on the... Just general revenue side, you know, we're pretty clear with our expectations that if you're below team average um, for three months in a row, like we're going to start working on an action plan. It's not a full performance plan. This is just us talking with the rep, giving them some guidance on what metrics they should be attaining, where we see some gaps in their process and really spending more time with them to get them up uh, because then the final step would be a performance plan, which nobody enjoys and becomes uh, you know, more of an HR process.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, You know, this every anytime we think about performance and people not rising to the occasion always makes me think of motivation Uh, and a a constant uh, constant request I hear from senior levels like yourself is, hey, guys, we need to get out there and get the teams motivated. What's your team? What's your take on motivation and a frontline sales manager, their role in motivating their team? Got any interesting thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, for me, especially right now, you know, it's tough to get motivated right now in sales. It's not like anybody's crushing their number uh, or that, you know, few people are. Uh, It's all about, you know, do you believe in the product that you're selling? Do you believe it's going to help the people you're reaching out to? And then do you actually like your team? And so each of our teams, uh, when new managers start or usually annually, they'll go through a team identity project where they'll all kind of throw out word clouds and they'll work on some, you know, who do you want your team to be? If you were to explain your team to a friend, how would you explain it? And like in an ideal world, so then you can build this, you know, what do you want your team to be? And then we can line up what activities are required to really, you know, be that team. Uh, So one of my managers, as an example, he starts all of his team meetings with uh, kind of a rip off of that YouTube thing that happened, uh, some good news. And it rotates around the team and, you know, whatever they did last weekend or some good news they had with their family or whatever it might be. Uh, they'll start with that. Usually we try to aim it not work related. This is like personal related. Mm-hmm. Because now you're making personal connections with your team. So that when you get now into the tough discussions on like there hasn't been enough self gen this week, or the pipeline is low, you're working on it together. And you're having a lot of team goals and team competitions and things like that uh, is really kind of what I have focused on. It's a tough one. You know, each team is different. That team works very differently than our you know, small business sales team, where they're just a, also a different persona, different stage of their lives, where like they're here to progress their career. So a lot of their one on ones are all about like, how do I make it to the next phase? How do I start working more strategic opportunities and working together as a team on that? Uh, and so that's really kind of some of the areas of focus I have right now, because just focusing on the motivation of like crushing numbers right now is a, it's a tall order. And so what we look at with that is motivating people when we're moving stages, you know, you've just moved this many deals to stage four this week. Like, yeah, you might not have closed any revenue, but like, congrats, you, you did this. Mm -hmm. And so finding those micro moments that we can spotlight, uh, and we do a monthly all hands where the managers and directors can then spotlight those individuals that, you know, had the most activity or created the most self-gen or moved the most pipeline to a certain stage. Um, to create that feeling of win before the, you know, the big win, the ARR win.
0: Yeah, I like that. Celebrating the little wins along the way to, mm-hmm. to keep that momentum going. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit here to, you know, your role as a senior sales leader now. What are some common misconceptions do you think that uh, people have about sales leadership and the senior sales leadership role?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a misconception, because it's probably accurate in a lot of cases. But when you have a certain size team, it's very difficult to know each person individually. Uh, meaning like, I don't necessarily know everyone's, you know, spouses names or kids or, you know, situations. And so it becomes a bit tough when you're just looking at a dashboard to know, like, is this true underperformance? Or is there something else there? Uh, and so really not being a dashboard manager is what I would say is usually the misconception. And the reason I say it's not always a misconception because there is a lot of senior sales leaders that are dashboard leaders and you have to watch out for those. <laughs> if they're just looking at the numbers and, you know, pushing down penalties because of things they see in a dashboard, that's a, that's a dangerous game. You know, you do need to uh, trust your leadership and make sure that your leaders along the way have the same mentality view of performance management. Now, usually the dashboard leader comes from a place where those middle managers are not performance managing. And that that goes right back to the senior leader. They need to be managing managers properly. And I think that's a big gap in a lot of training out there. Uh, There's some interesting courses with Pavilion like the CRO School. Uh, There's some online courses that I send my directors through called Managing Managers. Um, because it is different, you have to understand when to give managers constructive feedback and how to deliver it. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think that is is quite important. Uh, I actually, you know, let's be transparent. I had an interesting one last week. My COO, you know, we were out for our one on one. We decided to go for a walk because you're just stuck in meetings all day. And uh, uh, we were actually in person. Uh, and he at one point said, "Do you mind if I give you some constructive feedback?" And I I love that because you know it's coming. Then it's like. Yeah. All right. Let me like get prepared mentally <laughs> to receive some constructive feedback and then understand it with you. Uh, and so then we work through it together. You know, how do we approach this? How do we approach that? Uh, it's not as easy to just say, here's your performance plan as a manager. Like you have to think about what is the underlying cause that I need to help them with so they become a better manager. Uh, And really, that takes a ton of pre-thought. That is not something you're going to show up to a one-on-one and off-the-cuff deliver.
0: What's the negative or ripple effect of the dashboard manager? I love that term that you're using there.
1: Yeah, well, the dashboard. So now everyone's just hitting metrics to hit metrics. And they're throwing garbage. So now garbage in and garbage out. Uh, You know, you start digging into activity and you see people just batch and blasting like quarter-end offers to their whole team. Useless looks bad on the company, everything else. Uh, You also then miss, the like really good reps. So I've had two reps in the history of Vidyard that on the dashboard look terrible. They are like never hitting their activity metrics. They're never hitting their SALs. Mm
0: -hmm. Their self-gen
1: pipeline doesn't look great. And then you look at their revenue and they're the best reps on the team. And so it's tough because you want the top rep on the team to be a spotlight for everyone else to follow. But when they're not following the prescribed methods, it's tough. (laughs) So it's frustrating as a manager, uh, but those reps have found a way to work with their champions to get referrals to you know cross sell into accounts. They you know they are the true persona of like a salesperson, right? A, a kind of the traditional in person salesperson, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so that that doesn't show up on the dashboard.
0: Yeah, and uh, they had to take a risk, right? They're taking a risk by not following the prescribed plan. And so they could very well fail doing that. And then they're going to be in a bad spot. So when people are like, well, Joe doesn't do this. And I said, well, yeah, Joe's number one on the team. He's got double the revenue you have. Um, if you're willing to roll the dice and do it your own way, uh, I guess that's fine as long as you hit double your revenue, right? Yeah.
1: And usually <laughs> what we do there, it's, it's even in the micro. Uh, when people are like, I'm going to build my own cadence. I know better. I, I know my email templates better. It's mm-hmm. like, how about this? We'll make a deal. Do your own, sure you got two weeks to prove the response rate is equal to the one we built for you. Cause like, we've been testing the, the wording, the call to action, the subject line. Like if you think you can do better than that, go try You got a few weeks, but like, let's make an agreement ahead of time. I'm not letting out rope to hang you. I'm just giving you some space to test something, you know, make you feel more part of the team. Yeah. But at the end, like let's commonly agree. This is like an upfront contract on a discovery call at the end. We're going to agree that either we're going this path or this path.
0: Right. <laughs> Right. Great. Great. Okay. I uh, always like to end the podcast and these always go way too fast, but we're at the end here. So I always like to end the podcast with the, with the final question. So if you were to be dropped on a deserted sales Island and you could only bring one thing with your one skill or one tool, uh, what would you want to bring with you or what would you want to have in order to ensure your survival?
1: Yeah. Any kind of skill This is broad, wide open yeah yeah but you can only bring one yeah I'm gonna say it's not a tool uh, okay. tools can be replaced replicated built it's it's a skill uh, and and it is you know sounds silly but it's it's a conversational aspect like if you can't have a live conversation go back and forth you know you were joking before that um, had I read the questions you're gonna ask me and I didn't realize you sent them to me. Uh, <laughs> and it's fine. We still had a conversation. It didn't matter.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> and it's the same with the discovery. It's like if you're going into a discovery with a list of questions, it's probably not gonna go super well if you're not able to riff off of them and, and go a different direction. Yeah. And I think specifically within that skill, it's the ability to act as an advisor. You know, when I join a call, I don't know a ton about their business because it's been the reps deal. They've been on three or four calls with them, but I'm an industry expert. I can talk to them about like how to implement sales tech. And how other customers in their industry have been successful with vidyard and that's why i'm there is i'm going to have this conversation with this person to help them do better in their job and their business Uh, and that's really the skill that it's it's one of those ones there used to be a conference in canada called the art of sales and in my opinion that's kind of what that conference was all about
0: got it all right dan where can people connect with you and do you have anything that you'd like to promote today
1: Yeah, I guess two things. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, It's pretty easy to find me, Dan Wardle at Vidyard. And uh, our product is free. So sign up for Vidyard to send videos to your clients and try to get some higher response rates. Or I love personally following up with a discovery meeting with a video. Um, Or if you're out there looking for a job and that's why you're listening to Sales Collective, it's a great way to get the attention of the hiring manager.
0: No doubt. No doubt. I've done that in my own career. So it's a valuable way, valuable tool to stand out from the the crowd for sure. Well, thanks for spending some time with us today, Dan. And thank you for listening to The Frontline, a podcast dedicated to exploring the world of sales leadership. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on LinkedIn, share your thoughts, experiences as a sales leader, and don't forget to tune in to our next episode where we'll continue to explore the front lines of sales leadership. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sean, and we'll see you on the front line. Are you ready to take your sales team to the next level? Our team of world-class coaches can help, whether it be sales process, hiring rockstar sellers, or simply building your sales and sales leadership skills. The Sales Collective has you covered. Visit us today at thesalescollective.com.